The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. And on August 21st, you can join other conservationists all over the world in supporting Community Conservation Day. It's a day for anyone to give their time and or dollars back to their local ecosystems and favorite conservation causes. For more information on how you can participate, visit fishandwildlife.org. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your hosts, Nate Thomas and Michael Winstead. That was like a game show entrance, I thought. That was a little better. Yeah, did I, did I do it? Yeah, was that like was a, good. I felt like I was uh, introducing people on the prices right. So, Nathan. Yes, sir. You're in my happy place. This is the first time I've been here. It's pretty cool. Yes, we are currently in one of my favorite parts of the state. We are up north. At my buddy's house, we're actually we're in his shop. He's letting us stay up here for the week or for the day, actually. And tomorrow we're gonna do some coyote hunting yep. all day long. Your birthday, my birthday, they fall on the same day. Luckily, our wives they said, "Yeah, we'll let you get away for a little bit." So, what do you think, man? This is awesome. Yeah, um, uh, we're sitting here uh, in your buddy's shop recording a, a podcast episode. Mm-hmm. Um. He's got, you know, deer heads all over the place, cornhole behind us, yep. um, the fridge full of stocked items, I'm sure. <laughs> I haven't opened it yet, but uh, mine is empty now, so we'll have to check it out. Well, uh, there's just beer in there, so I don't know if you're going to. I'll see, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this this place is cool. Yeah, we we did a little bit of driving. We drove into town, got some food and stuff like that. But, I mean, just up here, it's just a different world, it feels like to me, and I just love coming up here. I mean, it's it's a treat every time I do. Yeah. So. And we're excited to do it. It worked out great. Yeah. I was actually up in Iowa today working. Mm-hmm. And so I dropped down and then met you up here. Uh, like, like you just said, we went and grabbed something to eat and then we came back here, recorded a show. Yeah. Um, get bed early so we can wake up early and hopefully kill some dogs. Um, it, it's kind of lining up well for us now. By the time everybody hears this, this hunt will have ever already happened. Right. So you'll probably hear about it if we do decent or whatever on our social media, or maybe not if we don't do decent. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, the weather's supposed to be in the 50s. Yeah. It's supposed to be pretty chilly. High of 52 tomorrow. So this might might be good for us. Yeah, which we have never. Which means we won't see a single dog. I'd like to think we might accidentally see one, <laughs> you know, I mean, cause we do, we have quite a bit of spots we can hit and I mean, there's plenty of country. So I'd like to think just by happenstance, we're going to at least run into one somewhere. Yeah. But I mean, this is new to us because we have never, I personally, I'm pretty sure this, you're the same, never hunted them this late in the season nope. or early, nope. whatever you want to call so. it. So th- this is going to be a a new experience for us, but, um, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about today's show. Excellent show. We have our buddy Greg on from jury outdoors and we talk about the mental game of bow hunting. That's a nice way to put it. That's maybe I'll use that as the title, the mental, uh, the mental game of bow hunting. I'll, I will allow it. 
uh, Greg does a great job just kind of breaking down what he does at least to help with uh, target panic or freaking uh, buck fever or, you know, pissing your pants, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, you know, things you can kind of do. There's some of us out there that have that problem where, like, they just black out and they don't, like, don't know what happened, don't remember what happened, um, miss miss animals, um, you know, all that stuff. Punch the trigger when they weren't wanting to. And, uh, you know, maybe there's something in here that might help you out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're this – it's not like we're saying anything that uh, is scientifically proven. This is just stuff that Greg has experienced. You and I give our opinion on some stuff in here. It's just stuff we experience. Yep. Um, and, you know, maybe it helps somebody out. And that's kind of the idea of doing this show today. So um, before we get into the show, we've got a few sponsors we need to, to hit. Um, first, we've got Cuddyback. Uh, Cuddyback Trail Cams. Um yeah, it's getting when this drops, it'll be June. So you really need to start thinking about if you're getting new trail cameras, maybe try Cuddy back out. Yep. Uh, or at least you need to start thinking about putting your trail cameras out because <laughs> it next, is time. Yeah, yeah. But I usually start putting mine up July. So you got you got a little bit of play time. Yeah, see, I'm I'm ready because I'm I'm already like okay, let's I, go, let's go. I mean, yeah, you're you're gonna get pictures absolutely, but in I do this every year. Yeah, my, I say I'm gonna wait till mid July, and then June first hits, and I'm like, I already, I sh- I'm, I'm too late. I should have them out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. But I mean, because everything's gonna change between now and July. You know, I usually just wait. They obviously got a lot more growth on them. Yep. You can tell by then. You usually can tell what bucks what, and so that's when I decide to put mine out. So. Yep, so Cuddyback Digital, uh, if you're going to purchase one through them, uh, save yourself 10% by using the code MOWW21 and save yourself 10%. Our other, our next sponsor for the show is Alps Outdoors. Alps, mm-hmm. um, as you all are aware well, is a, well aware of, is a Missouri-based company, um, and they have all kinds of cool outdoor gear, packs, tents. You all know the deal. Yeah. Check them out at alpsbrands.com and uh get some stuff yeah yeah i'm gonna be using my alps traverse tomorrow actually i am not going to be using an alps pack tomorrow because no. i haven't got mine yet but that's okay no they're See, they're a little behind not behind but some supply things they're still trying stock. to catch up yeah yep. out of stock you know yep. COVID hit and things got slowed up for everybody but no i'm using my old uh, it was my elk pack i bought it for elk hunting and i've come to realize that it's the perfect size for deer and this i can carry my uh i started carrying a seat with me when i go coyote hunting Mm -hmm. and i also my tripod or shooting sticks whatever you want to call them it's kind of a weird deal but so i can carry all that comfortably and i don't have to you know carry everything in my hand so it works out pretty good nice so yeah uh let's i guess we'll hop into it you ready yeah all right this is the missouri woods and water podcast Okay, with us today, we've got our buddy Greg Gleisinger with Drury Outdoors. Greg, how's it going, bud? Doing well, guys. Been looking forward to this since uh, we touched base uh, a few days ago, and 
um, we had such a good time last time. So, yeah, um, look forward to uh, this evening's call. We uh, we kind of talked about this subject that we're going to talk about tonight the last time we had you on, and I remember at the time after we got off the phone with you the first time we recorded with you telling the guys, oh, yeah, that we're definitely doing that with him at some point. And basically just been waiting to do it ever since then. And have it, I've had it circled. So I'm excited about this one. Uh, I've been excited about it since you brought the idea up and kind of when we were talking. So, um, But anyway, I mean, how things been going with you since we talked last? You know, uh, good. We, we just finished up turkey season. Um, Wisconsin runs later than, than most. So we just finished ours up and, uh, Casey got one. I got one. Um, his son got one. Uh, we couldn't take Derek out because he broke his foot. Oh no. So he was on crutches. <laughs> so he was, uh, he was out. Um, but the birds this year were, were very, uh, non-responsive. I mean, it was hard. I took, a one of Derek's buddies, Cody out and we tried getting his first Turkey ever. And, we tried and we got it within, oh, 60, 70 yards, but um, they just would not, they wouldn't break. They just wouldn't. I, I, it was just an odd year this year. I don't know why I can't explain it, but we had to work for every single one we, we got. Oh, wow. Now, here in Missouri, we have had, it's been a down year for turkeys. Actually, it's been kind of a downward trend as, is your popula- how's your population doing up there? It's not as good as it was six years ago. Every year it's been getting less. Um, Casey and I were just talking about that. And I noticed uh, the Missouri uh, Department of DNR released that a chart that I seen somewhere on social media with the graph mm-hmm. that I think the harvest was, uh, I'm going off memory, guys, so maybe you know, but I thought it was like 35,000 birds. Yeah. It was 34 and some change. Yeah. Yeah, so you're pretty close. Okay, 34 and change. Yep. Um, and it, the chart was fascinating to me how much has digressed uh, in the past. I thought it was the 10-year chart. Yep, you're right. Um, we uh, Our high was around 60,000, somewhere in there, about 10 years ago or so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I was... I stared at that chart for a while going, my gosh, what's, what's going on? You know, the DNRs got to step up and figure this out, but I, I don't, I don't have the answer. All I know is what I see and what I experience. And they're not as, they're not as plentiful as they were five or six years ago. Yeah. Is it, is it predator control? Is it raccoons? Uh, I think I that know. has a lot to do with it. Yeah. But... We, we actually had one of the, uh, uh, conservation agents on and talked to her about it and stuff and, but we feel, I mean, we feel it's more of a predator issue than some. I mean, there's mm. obviously a lot of factors that yeah. go into it. But, I mean, predator's a huge one for sure. But total disclaimer, everybody listening should take that piece of uh, opinion from me and Micah. Yeah, that's for, just personal. For take it what it's worth and what they paid for it, which is nothing. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. Because that's just kind of our opinion, you know. We, we mm-hmm. we're out in the outdoors all the time. And Greg, you are too. And we just feel like... Yeah. We we always are seeing raccoons. We're always seeing um, yeah. coyotes like no other. And possums. And, and, and nobody yeah. really traps anymore because it's not worth anything no. to do it. No. And uh, no. Now, I think on on the same token, I think uh, habitat also plays a lot of that role. I mean, you know, there's mm-hmm. uh, farming is getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. as far as 
they're mm-hmm. able to be more productive, so they're able to make their fields bigger, and there's less natural things. Like, heck, we had Adam, right. Adam Keith on last week with Landon Legacy, and he talks about there's not really that middle ground anymore. You either have cut hay fields yeah. and then and then crop yeah. fields, and you don't really have that 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 middle area that turkey love. And so that, that's a fair know, point. Yeah, and Adam's smart, so I'm going to listen to him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's been doing it a long time. Yeah, he's, he's seen. He, he's he's laced his boots up on a lot of on a lot of ground. So for sure, um, he's a great guy to to listen to because it's all hands on experience. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, let's jump into this subject because I think this could be good for a lot of people listening. Um, as our listeners know, we are hardcore bow hunters. Um, that's primarily what we love I mean, to do it's our main passion yeah and sure. it, it's not just deer we love going elk hunting and um you know shooting and and all kinds of stuff but we're, we're hardcore hunters as is greg and something that people don't really talk about well you know what greg i'll let you take it from here you know kind of tell us what um what the subject we're really going to talk about today and and why i think it's important and why i was excited to talk to you well what it is, it's just the mindset of the game and the mindset of a bow hunter um, and, and the mental game behind it all. And it, and it truly starts early. When I say early, it starts now, which is once turkey season's over, um, you know, the transition um, for myself really starts now. And what I do is I don't wait, um, and, and, and this is funny because uh, every year, I go into my local archery guy. It's called uh, Little John's. Give him a free plug here. Little John's Archery out of Marshall, Wisconsin. And he's a fabulous guy. Knows his stuff A to Z. I don't trust anybody but John touching my stuff. And every year I go in there in, in May or June, and we start dialing everything I want to do. And he always laughs. He goes, you're just like clockwork, Greg. And he goes, everybody waits until July or August to come in. And he goes, why, why do you do that? And I said, John, because I want to be in, I want, I want you to have the time to get the equipment right and not rushed. But more importantly, I want my bows back in my hand so I can start practicing. And so where I'm going with this on, on the mindset of, of a bow hunter, the mental game of a bow hunter is if you wait to the last minute in, you know, July and August to go get your, your, your bows tuned or maybe restrung or whatever it may be, the time you get your stuff back, you don't have a whole lot of time to practice and get your stuff dialed in the way, the way maybe it's optimal. Yeah. And why that's so important is when, when, when I look back at my high school and, and college athletic career, when, when you look at anybody at the, at the highest level, when I talk about any sport you want to pick at, whether it's golf, basketball, or baseball, whatever, you know, um, let's look at a, uh, a baseball swing cause it's, it's, it's very relatable and, and it's very simple. You won't find a MLB baseball player that has the same swing. Now there's some very similar mechanics, right? But they, they all have their own uniqueness. And that is the one thing about archery that I love and appreciate, which is we have certain f- fundamentals that are important that we need to focus on and do. But at the end of the day, uh, if you have little corks, whatever you're doing, long as it's repeatable, you can execute. And why that's so so is so uh, so so 
I can't even speak tonight, so yeah. important is that reps are number one. And if you focus on reps early on and don't wait and get your bow done until August or September, um, you have all summer long to do them. Your muscle memory will take over when your mind isn't there. And what I mean by that is every single time that a buck, I don't care what it is, if it's 110 or 150 or 170 class animal and it's your biggest deer or maybe it's a deer you've been chasing, they always seem to fill up your mental space in your head. And AKA, that's why they call it buck fever. When you can't process what you need to do as a hunter to execute whether it's when you need to draw, when you need to release, or, or whatever. It just seems like that animal dominates your mind space. And when that dominates your mind space, you cannot execute the way you should because your mind won't let you. No different than a high-pressure golfer over a 10-foot putt or a guy trying to hit a single in an MLB baseball game. They're under the same type of pressure. It's different but it's the same type of pressure. The reason why those guys execute more than fail is because they rely on muscle memory. And when you practice a lot, then everything just seems to fall into place because you just go what's comfortable. And when you go with what's comfortable and your routine is normal and you've done it so many times, your muscle memory will take over, even though if your mind space is not, and you'll able to execute the shot. But you have to put in the time behind the bow to do that. And that's the part that it's really simple, but just most people don't either put the time in or don't have time or don't think it this way. But I'll start shooting here in probably a month. I'll take my bow in uh, next week after the holiday, and we'll go through it, and I'll get it back in a couple weeks. And then I'll shoot, you know, four or five times a week. And I don't go out and shoot you know, 50 years a night, I go out and shoot maybe 10 to 20, um, or sometimes I want to shoot two or three. Um, reason being is because you're only going to get one shot at the animal. If I go and shoot 50, 60, 70 arrows, one, you're going to get tired and fatigued, and then your mechanics are going to fail, and you don't want that to happen. Right. So staying fresh and shooting, you know, a dozen or two maybe at tops um, is, is plenty. You just got to do it more frequently and you're going to say well how you fit that in greg well i make it really simple which is i have a target outside the back of my shed and i just leave it there and i have my bow with my uh arrows all ready to go inside the shed on a hook and i can walk out there and grab them and i can be done in you know 15 15 minutes yep um but having that muscle memory and practicing over and over and over will help you in the mental game when that large buck shows up because um, it happens to me. It happens to everybody. And, and, and that's the great thing that we love about hunting, right? Which is that adrenaline rush. And when that adrenaline hits you, there's that point in time where if you try to go back and reflect what you did and didn't do more often than not, you can't remember. And Casey, we talk about all the time. I'll say something like, well, I didn't do that. Or I did do that. And he'll laugh. He goes, no, you didn't. And I go, well, let's pull it up on the video and we'll pull it off. And, and he's right. And I'm wrong. Um, because you really don't think when all that stuff happens 
and an animal of whatever one you're chasing comes in front of you, go back and try to remember details of that hunt. Most people can't, and that's normal. So we have to overcome that by preparation, and preparation truly is practice and doing the right practice for the amount of time. And, and when you do that, you'll be surprised of how you just naturally take over and just execute the shot. And we've been lucky enough to do that over and over and over on the animals that we've had because of the preparation and the mindset that we go into it. Um, and that all changed for me back in 2017 when I harvested uh, major league. Um, it dawned on me of how important the mental game was when I saw him for the very first time. And that was the first time I saw an animal of that size in the wild ever. And when I saw him, um, Casey and I, that's the first time Casey's seen a 200 inch steer as well. We both came completely out of our skin. I mean, to the point that he walked by my first window of opportunity and I was so dumbfounded by the whole thing my mind would not process anything. I was just completely in awe of the animal and all of the situation and that, oh my gosh, I'm in front of him and I can't believe I've seen him. Now put it in magnitude, I chased this deer for four years. So it was like, I can't believe this is happening. And then the first window of opportunity came and left. And now I, I, I woke up from this numbness, lack of a better description. And I got myself together and, and that time then the vitals were, were uh, covered up by a small uh, tree. Later to, uh, I think that was on November 5th, we ended up harvesting them on, uh, on November 9th of the same year. And that's, that year of 2017 was the year that I realized the mental game is more important than the physical game. Because you can practice or you can think you can practice or you think your bow's set up and you think you know what you're doing um, with the best of them. But if your mental game is not there, it doesn't matter. And it's no different than a pro athlete. I've seen a lot of really good athletes in my, in my athletic career go a long ways, but they get to a certain point. They can't go any further because their mental game is not there. Well, And that's quite common. I think, I mean, you make a good point bow hunting is just like any other skill or or athletic thing like you're talking with with sports the your ability to do it is already there right i mean if any bow hunter they know how to shoot their bow and if they're not an idiot they're going to be practicing at some point so they know how to shoot their bow so nine times out of ten it's usually between your ears when you might have the problem or that's right. And, and I mean, that makes sense. But um, before I forget this, because I've been wanting to ask you this, you talked about baseball, and I thought of something. I'm going to put you on the spot. Prettiest baseball swing you've ever seen? Oh, my gosh. There's so many of them. You know, uh, I, it's, it's hard to argue left-handed swings because they're typically smoother. Yeah, especially when his um, name is Ken Griffey Jr., yeah, he's got a beautiful one. Barry Bonds has got a great one. Chipper mm-hmm. Jones has got a great one. But right, right-handers typically, typically are not smooth. Lefties, I don't know why they're just more fluid. And yeah. isn't that odd? They're hard to argue when. I, I don't. I I can't explain it. I, I don't know. Uh, but it's 
it's very that is one thing I've noticed out of all the years of watching the game and playing the game that the lefties typically have a smoother swing. Yeah. That's just the way it is. I just thought of that when you said a, a baseball swing, so I had to ask. But Oh, yeah. There's a lot of good ones, but those you named some good ones. Yeah. That's for sure. So um, go ahead. You know, the, the preparation. So you get your bow out and, you know, you start shooting it mm-hmm. as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what are some other things that go into what we're discussing? I mean, I'm Mike. I actually, I actually, I actually will get up to within, oh, we'll call it five yards, maybe uh, inside of ten, and I will shoot uh, a couple dozen with my eyes closed, blank bailing. Um, yes, correct. Why? Because I, I want to feel it. And uh, my grandfather was blind. Um, and I never, I never knew, I never knew my grandfather before he could see. I only knew him as he was, as he was blind. And he taught me a lot about feel and listening and truly paying attention with your eyes closed because your senses go to a different level when you can't see. And I encourage anybody to do this, which is Draw your sight, draw your bow back, obviously in a safe situation where you're very close to a a large target where you know you're not going to put anybody in danger. Um, And draw that back completely and um, fire it and and feel it and do that several times. Or if you're uncomfortable with it, if you don't have a captured rest where you're afraid that your arrow may um, fall off, which I understand that risk. Sure. Um, so only do this if, if you have a captured arrow rest. Um, draw it back, settle, and close your eyes and feel feel where your arm is. Feel where the string hits your nose. Feel where it hits your cheek. Feel where your, your knuckles or how your, your anchor point is and then slowly pull the trigger off. And do that several times. Um, you, you will feel things you didn't realize were happening. Trust me. I guarantee you, if you do this, you will feel things you didn't know you were doing. Oh, and then you'll get, more, you will get more particular about what you're doing and how you're doing it because now you've recognized things you didn't know you were doing or recognized where you're anchoring or you don't like it or whatever. But it will make you better. And I do that all the time. All the time. That's a great idea. So... I, it I mean, is. I've heard it, that it, because it 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 basically narrows down what you're trying to do in a very simple way, um, and we all don't have coaches, right? We don't have archery coaches, or you don't always have a buddy sitting there watching you what you're doing and being in critiquing your your release or your your draw, whatever it may be. But be your be your best coach that you can be on yourself, and that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I've done it before too, is I stand in front of a long mirror and draw, and then I look off my right eye and look to see how things that's hard to do. Um, I like personally just going completely with my eyes closed personally, but I, I have a, I always have a, a captured arrow rest. So the risk of anything happening is, you know, quite minimal. Minimal. Yeah. Pretty slim. Or at least if you you know, have a buddy in our case, that buddy is never constructive because he's usually messing with you when you're getting ready to shoot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, one guy, but, 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 but see the whole thing about that, about a buddy is that I don't like, and I don't want to be disrespectful, 
But it goes back to a golf swing, a baseball swing, you know, a whole lot of things. Everybody has their own corks. And I'm not saying that this guy's corks is wrong or right. If it works for him, let him do it. The only question I always ask is, if it feels comfortable for you, then do it. But my question will always be, can you repeat what you're doing? Right. And if you can repeat it, it doesn't matter how quirky the your cycle, your draw cycle, or or your or your release is. I yeah. don't care. Yep. I don't know how if you torque your bow a little or you torque it a lot. Obviously, that's not good. But if you do it right every single time and consistency, and you set your your side up because you torque just a little bit to the left, and you set your side up, then fine. Yeah. Go with it. Yeah, I mean, if you're hitting once you, I mean, once you get into the process and everything, if you're hitting consistent X's, it doesn't matter what your quirk is, as long as it works out That's and you're right. still hitting X's. If you're doing That's that right. quirk every time, if you're doing the quirk and you're every hitting time. the twelve, I mean, this is obviously more for somebody that has been bow hunting and has had experience. If you're just getting into bow hunting, it might be a good idea to find somebody that knows something i I personally i i used to watch a bunch of uh john dudley youtube videos oh yeah yeah knock knock on yeah he i mean yeah great archer you're talking about a guy who was on the olympic team man. exactly right exactly so i mean you know this guy's the yeah best of the best yeah and i mean he's got his ways that he tells you this is how you should do it and i don't do everything that he says but i mean it'll give you at least a base to go off of yeah, yeah, 100%. And that's why, you know, I'm no Olympic shooter, and I don't have any aspirations to do so. I'm, I'm here to put an arrow in a kill zone. Right. And do it under high pressure. When I say high pressure, it's the animal you're chasing. We all know what that high pressure is. It's all different for everybody, but that that backpack of pressure is, is why we do it. That's the adrenal rush that we all chase. Yeah. And we're not trying to hit that, that 10 ring you know, on the animal. Yeah, that's what we're aiming for, but we just got to hit a pie plate. Yeah, I mean, if, if you can, sure, you want you want to get it, everybody would love to have, you know, half-inch groups at whatever yardage, you know, you feel comfortable with. But realistically, you, you only, you need to be able to shoot within, what, nine inches? I mean, what's the kill zone on a deer? Yeah. Probably around nine sure. inches, give or take. Sure, so, sure, so. yeah. And and everybody has their yeah. <clears throat> their different process, but I think for a guy or a gal that is having whatever you want to call it, target panic, buck fever, um, there's certain things that some people have always had that issue. Others, um, honestly, I've been lucky. I don't typically have a problem with it. Now, I say that, and as soon as I say that, I'm going to have problems this year, but um, and I think that has a lot to do with what Greg said. We shoot our bows a lot. Um, we put ourselves in different scenarios, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But one thing that has always helped me is every time I shoot my bow, I'm, I'm thinking about every step that I'm doing. So it's um, – now, Micah, we always shoot our bows together, and you know that I take a deep breath right before I, I pull my – draw my bow back every time. Every time. And – it's the first thing I do, and it starts my process in my mind that, you know, you're mm-hmm. not maybe physically thinking about it, but it's, it's mm-hmm. I do all these little things before the shot goes. And for me, I feel like, at least just for me, I'm not, I can't really talk for anybody mm-hmm. else, 
that has helped mm-hmm. me not have uh, those panic attacks whenever I see that large mm-hmm. that buck. Um, you know, my mm-hmm. my biggest archery buck to date. I can remember him walking in, and I definitely got that huge rush. And you know that feeling you get when your heart feels like it's about to jump out of your chest? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. As soon as that feeling hits me, I go, okay, you're excited. Now start thinking. And I go into, okay, where is he at? Uh, What do I need to do now? Do I need to stand up? What yardage? And I'm so busy thinking about all the things that I'm supposed to be doing to execute a good shot that it's almost like I don't have time to to freak out. And other people, you know, you hear them talk about blacking out. Like, I I saw them, and then next thing I know, I shot. It's going to hit everybody different because I'm different from you. That's right. I usually freak out as soon as I touch my bow. Like, if I have a a deer coming in (laughs) – I usually freak out, and I I'm, I usually got a little bit of the shakes or whatever, but as soon as I pull that bow back <laughs> and I lock in, that's when I kind of, okay, lock it up, this is what you got to do, and then I go through my process. So everybody's going to be a little bit different. Yeah, you know, and, I, and I, I don't think anything's wrong. I think the person that we're hoping to help or, you know, Greg's hoping to help is it's the guy or girl that, like I just said, they see the deer and then they black out and next thing they know there's an arrow in its ass as it's running away mm-hmm. and they're like what in the hell or, just or, happened or or a complete or a complete mess sure and they're like what just happened they need to be able and they, and they can't recall <laughs> exactly they can't tell you. yeah so uh, that's the person that you because there's a lot i mean you there's greg you know them i mean there's there's people in the hunting industry that are great archery shots that have struggled with um i've I've listened to multiple podcasts about target panic with with some people and you know they talk about well you know they shoot their bow quite a bit and they practice so what what can someone like them do or a a normal everyday joe average joe or whatever you want to call them that can do for themselves to not black out (laughs) you know well the Uh, the the, the more the the more you put yourself into a situation, you, you had said, you know, you practice a lot. Well, you know, do you, if, if you're hunting out of a box blind or you're hunting in a tree stand or you're hunting, sitting down in a, in a folding chair because you're in a pop-up line, are you, are you truly practicing in that scenario? Because your body's going to react differently yep. whether you're standing up in a, in a tree stand 20 feet up or are you sitting in a, in a pop-up line and sitting in a folding chair? Um, because your angle of your upper torso is going to be completely different. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't bend at the hip um, the right way, your trajectory is going to be completely off. So those things also come into play with that, which is everybody knows how they're hunting. They know their setups. Well, then duplicate that in your backyard or whatever you need to do to mimic those situations because the more you mimic those situations, they become familiar to you. And the more they're familiar to you, then you repeat the process and the mental game doesn't seem to be as important because it's more routine. And the more routine we can make this, the higher probability of execution and success we're going to have. Yeah. And that is the one thing that I really, really try to, to do um, is that alone Yeah. Um, is just, 
constantly put myself in the situations that I know I'm going to be in and then practice those a lot. Um, and, you know, we, we're, we're very lucky uh, to be successful the way we have uh, because of that. And, and there's, you know, team members of DOD and there's people on TV and there's, there's, it doesn't matter whether you're a TV personality or not. Some guys miss more often than others. Yeah. And it's not because they don't, they didn't put the time in. I just don't think they put enough time in because nobody wants to miss that. They don't, they don't do that on purpose. Um, but I just don't think they really put the time and energy in. I mean, you look at these professional baseball players and I, I was just listening to, uh, Phil, Phil, uh, uh, Mickelson, professional golfer. Shout out to Three Phil. I, a week. I watched him play yeah, this I'm weekend. A, that was an awesome game. Yeah. I'm a big, <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Phil fan myself. Um, you know, he, he was talking about he does 100 putts three three feet away three times a week. 100 putts three feet away three times a week. Wow. Okay. So you're talking, you know, 900 putts three times a week. So when he steps over a three-footer with, a million and a half or five million or 10 million on the line to clutch a tournament. Just another putt. That's not, it's just another putt. Yeah. It doesn't bother him one iota. It's as good as in the cup. And I think that's big for now, a, new, a new bow hunter. A hundred percent. And that's is, why I bring this up, which yeah. is repetition is the number one thing to success because the more you do it, the more comfortable you get it, the habit it becomes. There's nothing mental about it. The mental game becomes backseat. Yeah. It's not it's not the forefront. And to take it a but, step further like you already did, but it's not especially to the new bow hunter, um, when you're like, Okay, I'm gonna make sure I go out and practice and you go buy yourself a block target or whatever brand target mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you go out in your backyard and you go stand at ten yards and twenty yards and thirty yards and whatever and you do that every night of the week. That's great. It's a great thing you're doing because you're practicing. But what That's we right. what we love doing is, like you already said, we put ourselves in different situations. Um, I don't try to shoot like the same targets over and over because you shoot at a block ten thousand times in a in a in a summer, and then you get up in a tree mm-hmm. stand, like you said, Greg, and you're in a totally different environment, and it's it's fo- almost foreign to you. Yeah. So, like, I'll I'll give a shout out to my brother-in-law Russell. That dude will have his targets out, and since we are deer hunters and we go up in tree stands, he, he's out, and I'm not recommending anybody do this, but Russell gets up on the roof of his house yeah, and stands up on the roof. Well, we, I mean, I used to have the tree stand in my backyard yep. where we would do it from there. Yeah. Practice from a tree stand, which and is... we love getting into 3Ds, uh, yeah. 3D uh, competitions, yeah, and we're not sure. doing it to go win a competition, we're doing That's it right. to put ourselves in front of different targets in different sceneries and, uh, right. you know, different things. Yeah, different environment. I mean, because – and I'm prone to it. But like you said, most of the time I'm shooting – the way I set, have my backyard set up, I have a target at thir- or 20, 30, 50, and 60. And those are all I, – I, I very rarely I practice at odd ranges yeah. and stuff. 
and you need to put yourself in those situations because you're i mean your bow is going to act a little different sure there mm-hmm. might not be a huge difference but there's going to be a little bit of a difference so you need to put yourself in different situations to see the outcome and see how you perform in those yeah and then i think you know another thing go ahead ahead, no you're good go ahead um another thing i was going to jump on what you guys were talking about is you know i I have a range at my house that i can get out to 90 yards and um yeah that's a long ways and am i you know i can hit oh six seven inches at 90 yards um but when i go to 30 and 40 and 50 it, it feels like a short putt yeah i don't I'm never going to shoot an animal at 90 yards. You know, it may be a second or third shot, maybe out West or something. Mm-hmm. Um, if I've already stuck them, um, I might do it then, but otherwise it's just to, you really have to focus and dial things in when you're shooting that far. Yep. And then when you get to 20, 30, 40, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is so simple. It's yeah. easy. It's I so mean, much easier. Yeah. Well, and, to another shout out to my brother-in-law Russell. He's who I learned this from and I it's I guess I think it's just natural for somebody, but when you go out to shoot of a of a of an evening, it's natural for you to start at 20 and move back, right? I mean, oh, sure. in my yeah. mind that's how I've always thought. Mm-hmm. Russell goes the mm-hmm. exact opposite way. Russell starts further back and then works his way in. Mm-hmm. And he's like, idea. by the time I get to 20 yards, it's like shooting a freaking side of a barn. Yeah, you're touching fletchings every time. It is. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, so, I always I always do with it, but I do a little bit of spin. I start at 20 with two arrows just to make sure nobody's knocked my sights. Right. That, then I go back to 90 and reverse it. And then I go back down to what Russell's doing. Yeah. But I always start at 20 first just to make sure I'm not going to throw an arrow. Crazy. Yeah. And honestly, it doesn't matter how people do it as long as they're putting themselves in different little situations. Right. You know, I mean, right. I, hate, I hate to say this, but it's a good idea to go buy different targets so that you're not shooting yeah. this black box or block or whatever yeah. all the time. Um, you know, every, every time. Or, or, or you can buy some paper if you want to use that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's another great idea. My father-in-law um, bails our hay, and I'll have him leave me a bail. And um, hell, Russell has painted elk. Mm-hmm. He's he's done two scale elk on different bales of hay, and he, he oh there you go you know and I think that's another thing that has helped us as a group is elk hunting. When we first started elk hunting, we also started putting ourselves in physical positions on the ground that you might oh, have sure. be you might be put in out west. Yeah, so like, you know from one knee sitting on your ass. Yeah, from um, one knee oh, yeah. or something yeah, something sure. something precarious is that the word yeah precarious precarious uh, (laughs) i try to be smart (laughs) but yeah and another good thing you probably want to start shooting at angles too you know shooting if you're going out west yeah yeah Yeah. well i mean even even deer hunting you know you you, i mean it'd be not if you have a deer target or something like that you know take a quartering away or a quartering two shot and see how that lays out for you and see if you're doing anything different yeah, and it just right. goes all back you to know, what you said originally, Greg, was if you do that a bunch of times and then it happens in the in the field, well, you have your ability to freak out goes is, is suppressed because you've done it before. Right. Oh, I've, I've seen right. this. I've seen this on the range 10 times. Yeah, he's he's quarter two. Yeah. I know what the, I know where to put it. And yeah. you're, you're not, not surprised. Right. You're yeah. not surprised. Yeah, that's right. 
Another thing that I've done over the years that's helped um, is I'll go to 20 and 30 yards and I will draw super fast. And the minute my string hits my nose and I get locked in, it's, it, it goes. I mean, I draw and shoot. I mean, I, I don't even think I, I set for more than a, I don't even know if it's a second. Yeah. And why I do that is to show myself that in the heat of the moment, if something was to happen, I have the confidence to draw super quick and release the arrow really fast and hit my target. And um, I think that played into my favor this past uh, fall when I shot triple play. And the reason why is, I don't know if you've seen that yet on DeerCast, which is Drew Outdoors' app. Oh, yeah. Um, I shot him while he was moving. Yep. And I got criticized a little bit on social media of shooting a walking deer, and rightfully so. Um, I can understand why people think that. Uh, but I have my personal experiences of why in the past I didn't stop him is because, you know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, I, I grunted at a deer that was inside of, 20 yards and soft run with my mouth and he, that deer came out of his skin and ran to the next county. Yep. And since that experience, I told myself if I ever had a walking deer that was inside of 20 or 25, I was just going to just walk with him and, and shoot him. Yeah. And so I've, I've done that. Uh, I practiced that shot at home with, um, we had a, uh, uh, this was before Derek was even born. I put a, for put targets on wheels and then had people just drag them across driveways and then we would just shoot them. Oh, wow. Um, and not, not at a fast rate, right? Just a slow, steady rate. And you just track them with your bow and it's just like shooting a, a shotgun, shooting plate, plate, uh, clay targets. Very simple, but it's got the same concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think it's one of those things that it didn't bother me one iota that I did it, but it sure bothered. bothered. Okay, folks, we're back. Sorry, we had uh, we lost Greg on the phone call. So, um, Greg, you're back. So uh, if you can remember what you were saying, uh, uh, have back at it. <laughs> sure. So, you know, going back to the mental game, there's a lot of other things that go into this, which is knowing the environment and the conditions that you're in. And I'll bring this back to a, a prime example, another lesson that I learned in 2017 that Major League uh, forced me to learn, which is if you're, in, if you're inside the timber and, uh, well, let me backtrack. We all know that whitetail jumped the string more than any other animal that I've ever hunted. And I'm speaking only from my personal experiences. I've never been to Africa, so I've never hunted those smaller and quicker uh, uh, game over there, but mm-hmm. from a North American animal, I, I can't think of a, an animal that that moves as fast and, and jumps the string more than a whitetail. And um, I've had plenty of my situations where I've put in a, the pin on a certain spot, and that's not where it landed because he jumped the string. And that mindset was the same mindset I had going into 2017. And if you go back to that footage of when I shot Major League, uh, my first shot was underneath him. And 
where I shot him is where I put the arrow. It's where I put the pin. He just didn't jump the string. And then I was lucky enough to have another shot at him, oh, eight to 10 yards farther away. And, and then I hit him and then I hit him again at 47 yards in deep timber. But the reason why I tell you the story is knowing the situation is part of the mental game, which is that wind speed was about 13 or 14 miles an hour. And in the tree, it might've been 15. Um, but we were in a, uh, a very covered uh, timber and you could hear the rustle of the leaves through the wind. And I didn't dawn on me until I went back and reviewed the footage that that wind speed will cover up a lot of your sound and your arrow flight. So he had no idea that arrow was coming at him uh, because of the wind speed and the, the rustling of the, of the, uh, of the leaves. Yeah. So now moving forward, every single hunt, I know my wind speed. I'm sitting there and I'm paying attention to, to the environment that I'm hunting in, whether I'm in a box blind, whether I'm in a ground blind or whether I'm in a tree, I make myself aware of what is the wind speed? What does the environment sound like? And if he's on an open food plot, Prime example, uh, this past fall, Missouri, I shot one at right at 40 or 41, and he was in an open food plot, um, a little bit of wind, but he had pegged us, he had us dead the rights, and I'm like, okay, at 40 yards, 41, I, I'm going to bet that he's going to jump the string. So I put it basically on his heart, just above his heart, and that's exactly he did it perfectly and that's where i hit him now if he would have jumped the string more than i thought he was going to jump then i would have center massed his lung instead of aiming at center mass of lung i put it bottom third i never i never move i never aim off the animal because if he doesn't move then i'm just going to be a clean miss so always aim on the animal but just bottom third then if he does jump the string more often than not you're probably going to catch the high lung yeah. Um, so that's another thing you have to process while you're sitting in the timber, which is what are those environmentals and do I put it on them or do I put it a little low or if it's farther and really windy or no wind at all, you know, at what point do you say it's a no go? Um, so that's the other part of the mental process that, you really need to sort through through that draw cycle and sort through that um, as you're sitting in this situation and you're like, well, what about this situation? What about that situation? They're all different. They're never duplicatable. And that's the great thing about hunting. It's a constant chess match and you can never du duplicate the same situation twice. But knowing your environment, once you get into your set and paying attention to those situations and thinking through that process, before the animal shows up so you know what to do, you've already thought through it. Now you just need to execute the plan. Yeah. Instead of, oh, my gosh, he's out there. What do I do? Um, and, then, and then you rush. And that's the other thing that the mental part that uh, we should talk about is the deer will give you more time to shoot at him than what we realize, if you really think about it. We rush ourselves for whatever reason. But if you do everything right, which is move slow, 
and don't alarm yourself and don't draw attention to yourself, which is I, I like to hunt deer in their natural movement. I don't like running at deer to stop them unless I have to. If I have to, then that's a different story. Uh, was it uh, see, 2000, so it have been fall of 20, so it been fall of, fall of 19, I shot a 194-inch Missouri buck at, it was like 46 or, it was just short of 50 yards. It was 47 or 48. It wasn't quite 50 yards. And I was hoping he was going to stop, and he wasn't stopping, so it gave me no choice, so I grunted at him. And, and the minute you grunt at an animal, you've now given up your position. And when you give up your position, he knows exactly where you are. And he will, 99% of the time, he will jump the string. And he was at, I think I estimated at 47 or 48. And I put the 50-yard pin on him. And I put it below his belly because it was so far and he was so keyed up that I purely made the game time decision and cut the arrow loose and he dropped 18 inches and you can watch it on the film. And that arrow hit him center mass. Wow. If I would have named, if I wouldn't have aimed underneath him, I would have flew it over him. Right. And the only reason why I did that was because he was so keyed up and he drilled me. He knew exactly where, where I was. And so I took the gamble yeah. and, and obviously we won, but making those decisions at the right time will increase your success as well. Um, and that just comes to experience um, and telling stories like this and listen to others and then executing on it. Oh um, yeah. Hell, I mean, well, you know, shameless plug, by the way, uh, going back to the story of triple play, uh, Missouri Woods and Water Podcast, episode 23 with Greg Gleisinger of uh, Jury Outdoors. You can hear the story of Triple Play. But, you know, you just said stories, like, hearing stories like this, and I remember talking to you about the story of Triple Play, and then a few weeks later, I shot my archery buck, and I didn't stop him either. And, and um, Greg, you obviously remember this because you were one of the many phone calls I was on that night. Yeah. Sick to my stomach. I remember. And, yeah. uh, the, 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 while it wasn't the shot I wanted, although it was fatal. So I guess technically it did its job, but right. Because of the practice I had put in, in other areas and, and I was confident in my shooting ability I didn't stop him because he was so close to me and, you know, I just, I was worried that mm -hmm. he was going to, you know, go mm -hmm. calling out his skin. But mm -hmm. instead of blacking out, as soon as that arrow hit him, I knew I missed him back. I, I could have, I could have painted the picture that he was going to run for 200 yards across that field. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what he did because the second I let it go, I knew I didn't lead him like I want, I, I thought I let him like I wanted to, but he was also mm -hmm. moving a lot faster than I think he i think i thought he was and um or or what you could have done too michael which is you know uh i shot a lot of clay pigeons in my life in nebraska growing up um is that when you pull the trigger your gun barrel should never stop right yeah you should follow That's through a good point and most and if you're if you're going to do that type of theory you can't stop your bow if if you watch um i'm doing the edits 
now for triple play, and we had one, two, two, two camera angles on me live, and you can see me tracking the animal and cutting the arrow loose, and my, my bow never stops. If that makes sense, what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like um, shooting at ducks or something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's probably what happened to you. Was you probably stopped the bow? Probably. Yeah. It's, I'm guessing. And, and I, I'm positive I did. But and the nice the nice thing is about it is I knew it. You know, at least I wasn't sitting there going, "What happened? What What did I do?" Mm-hmm. I knew. Mm-hmm. I knew I hit him back. There was mm-hmm. no question in my mind. And I I remember calling Russell, who was hunting with me that night. Um, just somewhere else on the, the farm. As soon as I called him, mm-hmm. I said, I hit him back. I hit him back before I ever even got down and checked the arrow. And mm-hmm. uh, so, and I, I think that's where, what are some tips? Now, we've already went through a bunch of those tips, but if you are. But I want, I want, I want, I want to touch base on one thing before. Yeah, no, go ahead. Because I, I think it's very important, which is I'm not here to tell somebody that they shouldn't stop deer. I'm not here to tell somebody you should stop deer. Because we have difference of opinion, even on the DOD team, on this particular topic. And I'm not going to have this argument with anybody, but I will tell you, my personal experiences is what's dictating what I'm doing today. And you will talk to other guys in the team, and they're going to say, well, these experiences is why I dictate what I do. Yeah. And, and that's the wonderful thing about bow hunting. There isn't a hard and fast rule. Do what you think is right. You will have to live and die by those decisions because we all do, but don't, don't do something because, you know, I say you should, or Mike say you should do something because your experiences dictate that you should, or you've learned something. Yeah. Um, there are certain team on the, on the team member that, that will not shoot a deer walking and they have to stop them. Now that's not my style. And you can look back at all the videos. You won't see me do it unless I absolutely have to do it and it's my last resort because i don't like having deer alerted to my position i think it decreases the opportunity for you to kill that deer my personal opinion and i can have this argument with some very well names on the dot team and a dod team and we'll just sit there and come to a to a stalemate conclusion agree to disagree they're very passionate <laughs> they're, they're very passionate about their their decisions and i'm very passionate about mine um so i just want to make sure that we share that before we you know it's not a hard and fast rule yeah now and you know before before i thought about it i probably would have tried to stop him now hindsight's always 2020 and you never know what a situation would a story would have been because that's not what happened but, you know, True. I, I, I could have potentially stopped that deer at seven yards away from me, straight underneath me, and it had been fine. My, my only fear of that, and I'll say this a hundred times, is the minute you do that, you don't know how that animal's going to react. Sure. And, and, and people are going to say, oh, you do. Okay, then I'm willing to bet you a good majority of them are not going to put up with it, and they're going to bolt. And you're you're rolling that dice when you do that of what that animal's gonna do. Yeah. And I I've mean, seen it I've seen it so many times that I don't do it anymore unless I have to. Especially when they're super close, they're really on edge and they don't like it. But if they're forty, fifty away, they're more comfortable with it. 
because they're not threatened. But if they're inside of 20, they're more threatened (laughs) and they react completely different. Hell, he was in, he was inside of 10. (laughs) My guess, if you would have done it, he would have ran to the next county. And that was my my concern. Although he was, I will say he was right behind a doe. So who knows? I might have I might have tried to stop him. He might have ignored yeah, me altogether. That's, that's I wonder oh, that's if that possible. would have been the case. That's possible. I mean, yeah. are you yeah, are you very possible? Are you willing to chance the deer, never seeing the deer again, by doing it? Almost. That's a very good point, and you that's know? exactly why I did the triple play the way I played it. Because I mean, I figured this may be my only one chance, and if I grunt at him at this close, he may run off the farm. Yeah, you, and that's and, why I did what I did. And we know for, I mean, most likely, if he has no idea nobody's there, whether he did, so let's just say you didn't take the shot when he was running or walking away, you you didn't feel comfortable with it for whatever reason, yes, he walks away, but he's not suspicious that anything happened, and he just goes that's about his right. day, he's more than likely going right. to come to that location again. If you did it where, yeah, if you went and you called to him, he got scared there. He might have picked you off, might have seen something, and he could have been gone forever. So you 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 never yeah. know. And so. Especially especially to your point, when we're talking about mature bucks, right? I'm not talking trying to shoot a two or three year old. Um, when we're talking, you know, five, six, seven, eight year old deer, their their mental mentality and their behavior is at a different level. And they just don't put up with stuff. They just don't. Yeah. And and so if you if you get one or two chances a fall at the target animal of that maturity, you know you just don't have that many times to execute. And so that's now to clarify to the listeners, triple play was not he was he was walking. Right. He was not no, running, not running. Dog, yeah. yeah. Walking. Yes. Yeah. He was a true slow walk. Yeah, so, and neither was my archery sure buck. Stated. He was just he was briskly moving, or you know, not even really briskly. He was just he was moving. But um, but you and know, for those who want to see that, for those who want to see that, that'll air uh, this fall on the Drew Outdoors show called uh, Matthew's Bow Madness. Uh, it'll be episode episode two. Oh, nice! So nice. It'll be like the second week of July. Sweet. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that whole thing because. You know, I, I well, unless something's been added since then, I haven't seen it. But on the uh, the the DeerCast app, I watched, you know, the the five minute video or whatever um, mm-hmm. you have of them, and um, so I'm looking forward to seeing more. So that's cool. The, the 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 angles really tell a story better because we got so many angles inside and uh, two angles outside. Um, so I think there's one, two, three, four. There's either four or five angles, and they cut through all four or five of them very well and so it, it tells a story extremely well much better than you saw in DeerCast because DeerCast is kind of you know short and sweet and yeah. down and dirty they yeah. don't have time to edit the five different angles um so uh it tells a story a lot more detailed yeah and if anybody wants to check out the story of the book that I shot um keep waiting because it wasn't on video <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but uh so I wanted to rewind again, um, uh, not really rewind, but kind of go back to this. So if you've got somebody who is either a new bow hunter or maybe an experienced bow hunter um, that is struggling with whatever the hell you want to term this, target panic, 
what are some steps that they can take, you know, maybe one by one to start working on it? Maybe they're a person that already shoots their bow quite a bit. Maybe they're a person that um, is a really good shot. Uh, you know, what are some things that they can maybe do to help fix it, uh, in your opinion at least? I mean, for me, I, I honestly believe some people just, they're wired to get too jacked up. And other people's mm-hmm. people are wired not to get jacked mm-hmm. up when they see a deer, um, mm-hmm. which is why I'm amazed that I am able to stay calm when I shoot at an animal because I am not that type of person in general. So it, it's odd to me, mm-hmm. but so I firmly believe that sometimes it's just it is what it is. But how can you at least control it to the point that you at least know what the hell you're doing when you shoot at an animal, you know, and you can actually look back and go. Ah, uh, this is what I did. I shot for thirty-two yards, not twenty-two, or or whatever. Yeah, and, no, and actually yeah. go back and say I did this wrong or I did this right, instead of just saying I blacked out. I have no idea what just happened. Um, what well, are some, some steps they can take? You think? Well, well, I think some of this goes back to just mechanics one hundred and one, and um, it took me a, several years to find a release that I truly liked. And it took me a while to, to navigate through a bunch of them. And, and there are so many of them out there. You know, there's True Fire, there's Scott, there's, oh, God, Carter. We can go down the lot, whether it's a trigger or a thumb release. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you that one's better than the other because it truly is a personal preference. Um, but I would start there because archery truly, in my opinion, is based on feel. And it's how you feel and how you draw and how you settle and how you anchor, the more you're comfortable doing with whatever setup you have, mm-hmm. the more accurate you're going to be. And sometimes we force certain things because one, we didn't know there's options or two, you know, uh, a release was $39 and I should have bought the one that was 140. You know, there's a difference why there's a, you know, a hundred dollar difference between releases. Trust me, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there, there's there's times in in the world that you do get what you pay for. I mean, other times it's not so no true, not 100%. so true, but yeah, yes. And and I think if 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 you're questioning your release and you're really not, you know, go to your local archery store, and usually the guys are very you know open minded, and they'll let you take five or six of them back to the range and fire a bunch of them off. Um, and, and feel what's, it, it's just going to feel, well, I'll tell you this before I was, a uh, a DOD team member, I was a PSC pro shooter and, um, not for the circuit, just purely from the, from the hunting side. And before that, what I used to do, um, is I used to go to my archery shop and his little John's and I would say, John, set me up a Hoyt, a Matthews and a PSE. Those were the three main ones 16, 17, 18 years ago. Um, and I would stand there blindfolded. I'd take a blindfold. I'd put on, I'd go within 10 yards, and i say, just, you put the arrow on the bow, hand me the bow, take my hand, clip it on the, on the, on the D-loop. And that's what he did. And we would rotate two or three different shots, and he would hand me a different bow. And then I would go, this is the bow I want. Because I did not want to be influenced by brand. I did not want to be influenced by anything other than the shot and the feel and how it felt to me. 
how it felt in my hand, how did I, how the draw cycle go, how did it, all those things. Mm -hmm. And that's how I bought those. And we are more good, bad, or indifferent. Um, I think a lot of people today are influenced by a certain brand or a certain group of people that shoot certain things and they want to be part of that. That doesn't mean it's going to fit you. And archery is such a personalized sport that um, you really need to spend the time to go out and feel those different opportunities because all the bows today, regardless of brand, um, are so good and they perform so well that I don't think you can go wrong with any of, when I say that, I'm talking high-end bows. I'm talking the Matthews, the the Hoyts, the PSEs, the Botex. There's, you know, four or five of them now that are the high-end bows. I don't, I don't think you can go wrong with them. But they all feel differently. They all draw differently. Yeah. And I'm not going to say one is better than the other. But you will sort through that as that as you go through that that pecking order process. And yeah. it's ironically, but back in those days when it was when it was you know my uh, when I got to pick them myself i was i was picking matthews every time why it was very smooth it was dead in the hand i i the the riser felt good in my hand i did not like the feel of a hoyt um that's just my opinion it's not wrong um it's not right it's just what i like yeah and you know it's the ford versus chevy conversation i'm not saying one better than the other but guys are you know guys are very passionate about it and that's okay there's reasons for it. Um, so, you know, it's just what, what, what you want. Um, just don't be influenced. Well, you know, I'm, Mike, a she- I'm a Chevy guy and I drive a Dodge <laughs> <laughs> so, just, just because well, of price. <laughs> but well, there you go. Micah, yeah. Micah, the entire time you're talking about how you enjoy Matthews is over there just grinning. Oh yeah. Because I love Matthews. <laughs> he's I, the feel same, the, I feel the same yeah, way. In fact, I'm the only guy on our entire, I guess you'd call it group of guys, you know, yeah. friends and guys that all hunt together. I'm now the only one that doesn't shoot a Matthews. Yeah. And that's not because I don't like Matthews, but that's because I think another problem people tend to, I, I guess, can have is they they always got to feel don't I don't know maybe it's just me but I always feel like people always got to screw with stuff and tinker and honestly mm. when I find something I like I don't need to change it and I'm still shooting a I'm shooting an 11 year old Bowtech right now and hey if you like it, they all kill the same yeah and I got it restrung last season and I'm probably gonna restring it again before I I maybe make the move and you know and it's the same thing with um releases uh. I still shoot a trigger release. It's because so do I. that's what I like, and I'm yeah. I feel like at least I'm proficient in it. But it seems yeah. to me like, and I'm not judging anybody, but the craze is to go uh, the new fad or whatever you want to call it. I'm not calling yeah. it a fad, but yeah. is to go to a thumb yeah. release or a, uh, yeah. a hinge release. And yeah. I I get it. I shot yeah. our buddy's thumb release, and it seems cool. But yeah. do I want to go change what works for me? No, not at all. I don't want to. And no. um, I think that's another well, we thing. We had a problem with, with Casey. Casey, we, it was three or four years ago. We, he was just not shooting well. Um, and I said, well, you know, well, let's just break this down. I said, let's just go to a, let's start with your release first. I mean, he, he's, he was an ex, 
professional uh, football player. He played over in Germany for a couple of years. So, I mean, Casey's a true athlete to the core, like college football. And, I mean, he's the fastest white guy I ever knew um, <laughs> in his prime. He never knew he, me then. <laughs> he's truly, is an, he's truly a, a hardcore athlete. But So I'm like, okay, let's just break down. And we started with the releases right away. And he fell in love with a Carter thumb release. And now the guy shoots lights out. Didn't do anything other different. But for whatever reason, it just feels better for him. And he's a lot more comfortable, and he's drilling tacks. Yeah. Now, we took a lot of releases to get to the one he likes, but when he found it, it's just like light switch. Yeah. And, you know, and that's I, – I, and, and, and I don't like him. I, it's a, I will never – I'll never say never. I will highly likely never shoot a thumb release. I don't care for him. Yeah. I just don't. I don't dislike them. Um, we shot our buddy Pats at a 3 do shoot. Uh, me and Micah and Pat went to together one time, and I liked it, but I'm also in no mood to change. I mean, yeah. I, I I shoot a uh, – I think it's a it's a true ball short and sweeter, and mm. I love it, and I'm not going to switch. So it's, if well, I ever break that release, I'm probably going to go buy another one just like that. Hopefully they're still making them. I well, probably ought to go buy a backup. Me, there you go. Let me, let me make a suggestion right now. Go buy a backup right now. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> Because uh, what I do is I always have two on me, one on my wrist and then the backups in my backpack. Yeah. And I label on the on the inside one and two so I know which one's which. That's a good point. I just As soon as I said that, as soon as those words were coming out of my mouth, I thought, yeah. I got to go buy another one. <laughs> because <laughs> models change, yep. you know, and sometimes they don't they don't produce them, and then, you, then you're out of luck. And uh, I've... When I find a release I like, I usually buy two, if not three. If I really love it, I'll buy three and leave one in the package. But I always have two on me. You'll never see me in the woods. Yeah. Never. Never. One's always on my wrist, and one's always in my pack, just yep. in case something happens. Yeah, that's a and good point. And they're set up identical. Yeah, and I thought, you know, that that today's episode was a great way for somebody that might be struggling with Whatever we're going to term it as. Maybe we should think of a new term, Micah. You want to think of a new term for target panic or, <laughs> you know, buck fever? We could we could uh, start a new... How about archery experiences? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> no, we, 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 we're trying to start a new trend in the industry, so what do we want to call it? I have no idea. We want to call it uh, um, the chocolate milk yips. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, for someone who might be having some problems or maybe the last two years they've they've wounded a deer or missed a deer and so now they're like well am i doing something wrong well i mean right. it's you know kind of simple shoot shoot your butt off put yourself in as many different situations as you can while you're shooting um go hell go out to your if you if you're hunting out of a, a tree stand that's already there take your target out there and go sit in your tree stand and shoot in different spots have a buddy move it around for you and then i mean that's a great idea just anything that you can make yourself more comfortable i think can help a person out and then if you're still 100%. having problems then maybe you need to start looking at okay is my setup doing something wrong maybe i'm maybe uh my draw is an inch longer than it needs to be and i keep getting well you probably should find that out before you you should all that. but i guarantee you i mean i was when I first started shooting a bow, I was my draw was two inches longer than it was supposed to be for a month and a half, and I didn't know it. Yeah, I mean, 
It'll happen. Especially when you're inexperienced. You don't know the difference. Yeah. You're just shooting. And there's, there was a reason why I freaking sucked at first. Because I was shooting a, what, a 29-and-a-half-inch draw at a 27? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you just you don't know what you don't know. So, um, yeah, that's very true. But I will, I will close this out though, which is, you know, whether you're right hand or left hand, the only thing connecting you to the bow is obviously your hand on the riser and then your release. That's it. Yeah. And so never, you know, not invest in a really nice release because a really nice release is going to give you confidence and it's going to give you consistency. Mm-hmm. And, that is one thing that I learned over the year because I was that guy who was a cheap guy when I first started. Oh, I my, think I shot like yeah. a $49 release, I think. Yeah. Oh, I'll do one and, better. I used to shoot the Walmart special probably the first three or four years. I think they were like oh. $9.99. Something like, I mean, they were cheap. Oh, boy. Cheap, cheap. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and you when s- you think about it, it's, the only, it's, your, it's your only connection. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's a great point. It really is. And, and, and you should truly invest in a quality release, whatever your brand of choice is, but do not go cheap because there is a difference. Absolutely. There is. Yeah. And and, I, and the more you spend, the more adjustability they are. So your trigger can be, you know, a pound, pound and a half, three pounds, et cetera. Yeah. And that's another thing people can mess with to increase their comfort as well. Yeah. And you have, I mean, there's all kinds of different options, especially like with a trigger, there's a switchback uh, trigger and there's a, I don't know, what is it, a, a straight trigger where it just goes straight out of the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's you multiple. Can, all you kinds know, and, of different... I mean, a guy like me who's got shorter fingers, I really enjoy the switchback, whereas uh, maybe a taller guy like Andy is a, a tall person with probably longer fingers. He might want... I mean, there's all kinds of different ones, and if you do get the chance to try them out, that, that's huge. I actually, when I bought my short and sweeter, I bought five different releases that I thought I would want. Yeah, and I can't remember the website I got them from at the time because I would plug them because they were really awesome. The four I didn't want, I I sent back, and uh, but they said just don't you know use them, use them. You can take them out and play with them and put them on the bow and pull it back and things. And and uh, once I figured out what I wanted, I sent the other four back because I remember I think I stopped in at one of our bow shops and they didn't have three of them that I was looking at at the time. And that's another thing if. It it also becomes really handy to have a good bow shop that oh, man, knows what would, they're talking yes. about close by, and and sometimes that's just not the situation for everybody. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes you don't get lucky like um, having uh, what's your guy up there in Wisconsin? Little John's Archery. You want to send him down to Missouri, and uh, <laughs> he he can ha- handle some stuff down here too. Yeah. But oh, he's good, man. Yeah. And, he, and he's not little either, by the way. He's like six. <laughs> I don't know, six six or six seven. I don't know how tall he is, but he's Dude, a giant of a guy. That's why they call him <laughs> Little John. He's a big fella. Yeah, <laughs> awesome man. Well, Greg, that was a. I thought it was a great show to to just help people out. If nothing else, if 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 you're having some issues or just this this subject interests you, then I think this this is a great show. And maybe mm-hmm. maybe something you take away. Maybe you're have, maybe you're struggling, and. The one thing you take away is maybe I ought to try look into a uh, a nicer release because I am shooting the Walmart special, mm-hmm. which there's nothing wrong with Walmart, but a ten dollar release is you're going to get what you pay for. Yeah, in that situation, that and maybe it'll give that guy a little bit more motivation. Maybe I should just go ahead and you know this should drop the beginning of June, 
you know, maybe I should go ahead and get my bow out and start shooting instead of waiting until, you know, August. So Yeah. Yeah. September. No, I'll, I'll, I'll close this real quick, though, which is our expectations should only be met by the amount of preparation we're willing to put in. And there's a lot of people who have high expectations, but when you talk to them, their preparation didn't meet their expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And coach, uh, I know you're not from Missouri, Greg, but, uh, Missouri's new head football coach, Eli Drinkwitz had a great, um, uh, press conference answer to a reporter that said something about expectations. And Eli said, I can't manage your expectations. (laughs) I can only manage mine. And I thought that was great. (laughs) You can only manage what you expect of yourself. That's right, but don't expect more than what you prepare for. Yep, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, I you know. I and, agree, and, I, and that's where a lot of people get upset at themselves. Where I should have done that, I should have done this, or it didn't turn out the way. Did the first time? I always sit down and ask. And I ask the situation, and then we talk about how they prepared, and I go, "Do you think you prepared enough?" And more often than not, probably not. Yeah, you yeah. know. Well, so. I can tell you one expectation I have is for you to keep in touch with us and make tell us now <laughs> that you'll come back on at some other point. Absolutely. The, yeah. I love this stuff, guys. It's, it's fun. Well, it's bud, time. I love sharing the passion with anybody who's willing to listen and anybody who's willing to talk. Yeah. Well, before we hop off, um, why don't you tell the listener anything that might be going on? I know you said you, you're, you're currently working on the triple play video. Um, anything yeah. else you got going on you'd like to tell folks about? Yeah, we've got uh, – we're obviously lucky enough to have Matthews as a new uh, sponsor for Jury Outdoors, and they are now sponsoring a new show called Matthews Bow Madness, which will air just this July, uh, starting this July for 13 episodes on the Outdoor Channel. And um, Casey and I will have three of those episodes of the 13. Awesome. Um, we'll have uh, uh, a nice trip out west. Um, to kick off uh, episode two, and then the second half of episode two will be uh, uh, triple play, which is the 233-inch Iowa whitetail that we tipped over, and then we move into uh, Missouri, and uh, Casey takes down his largest Missouri buck of his career with a bow, and then I tip over a Missouri uh, whitetail with during gun season. Uh, of all times and then we move into uh i think episode 12 is when we uh i tip over my largest wisconsin buck ever with a bow 167 and change oh wow and we do that um in january so that'll that'll uh, be episode 12 so uh that's that's we're right in the mix of doing all the edits as well as interviews as we speak um and then uh on the big front for jury outdoors is they have another uh update coming to the deer cast um uh, which uh i know is some pretty exciting stuff um and that's going to be released i believe somewhere around august and september and so that's going to be well worth the wait and for those of you who don't know what that is it's a jury outdoors app you can go on the uh, app store and download that it comes at uh i think the elite version is 20 bucks or no, uh, the pro versions, 20 bucks, the elite versions, uh, I think nine ninety nine, And then there's a free version as well. But 
Uh, you definitely want to spend the, the 1999 for it because that's where you get everything, including the complete library of all the videos that DOD has, and you can watch them anytime. So yeah. it's well worth the value. And it has DeerCast Track as well, which uh, is a wonderful tool that if you hit an animal and you have questions of how long to wait or what you actually hit, you can pull it up and look at that as well, and it'll walk you through the do's and the don'ts and give you suggestions of how you should uh, proceed on tracking your animals. So that's a very helpful tool. But yeah, uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on. DOD always new things happening. Uh, but all the new shows for Jury will be released in in July. So that's 13 Bow Madness, Natural Born, and um, uh, Critical Mass. Nice. So that'll all be happening in July. Awesome, man. Well, sounds like you got a lot going on for sure. Uh, that, that's a good thing, and we're excited to check out the videos. Uh, your your quality of videos is always awesome, and uh, you know while you got to wait for it a little bit, um, the production is uh, you know second to none, and that that's that's uh, that's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's fun to do it. Yeah, man. So once again, we appreciate you coming on, and um, we will talk to you later. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us with that. Hopefully you picked something up. Maybe it'll give you a little motivation to get your bow out, start tinkering with things now. That way, whenever it's September 14th and you are got season opening tomorrow, oh, I probably oh, should get my bow out. Yeah, I probably should restring my bow. And if you pay attention, there are people out there that, you know, September 10th rolls around. They're like, all right, time to start practicing. It, full disclosure, I used to be one of those guys my first few years getting into it. Now, if you're one of those people that doesn't hunt until middle October anyway, I guess right. it's okay. It's still better to be shoot before then. Yeah, you definitely – I mean, but you also got to think every, a lot of people are like that, and if you ever need work done to your bow for whatever reason, bow shops are going to be backed up. It's better to just go ahead and start now, mm-hmm. early in the season – that way you know all your bases are covered. And guess what I still haven't done? Getting your bow out? No, I've done that. <laughs> but back in January, I was telling you I was going to buy my broadheads. You still haven't bought them? I still haven't done it because you have made me second guess Ooh. what I'm going with. Oh, really? Well, see, I haven't bought the ones that I said I'm going to buy. And I either. wish you would go ahead and do that so I could check them out. So you can check them out? I Because mean, you, you're thinking you're going to go with those thorn crowns. Yep. And... I watched some YouTube videos on those after we recorded, and you said that. They look sick, don't they? Uh, yes. Yeah. They look pretty interesting. So now I'm like, huh, so do I go drop the big money on the iron wheels, or do I drop still quite a bit of money on the crowns? So can you go ahead and buy your shit so that <laughs> I can play with them? I got to talk to your sister first. But yeah, yeah, I plan on getting those bought pretty pretty soon so yeah we'll see what i'd like happens. to try them out because i i'm trying to figure out how you would tune a, a broadhead like that because there's no there's basically a blade on every axis but if you look at it like from the point going down yeah they line up like it looks it looks like a four blade basically is your, what you're saying it's either four i can't remember but they line up like yeah it, it's not just all that's why i want to see one yeah you know, you'd have to check them out, and you know, we'll we'll see how they work out. You know, yeah. I like I said, I haven't even shot them yet. That doesn't preclude you from shooting your bow, but no, I just would like to have my broadheads purchased and not have to worry about it. But 
Sure. Here we are, you know, end of May, and I still haven't done it yet. But um, anyways, hope everybody enjoyed that show. Thank you to Greg for coming on with mm-hmm. us. Uh, he's a um, returning customer or customer, <laughs> a returning guest. Yeah. And uh, I guess you could say customer. Um, and he's a terrific guy to talk to. He's a really nice person. Mm-hmm. Um, we really enjoy having conversations with him. Hell, we had a 30-minute conversation with him before we started recording. Yeah. And so uh, we really appreciate him coming on. And this was fun. You know, we ought to come up here more often just record in this shop. <laughs> just to come up to the shop. I'm I, sure I we hope there's not an echo because we're in the shop, but I don't feel like there is. Yeah. I can't hear it if so. I guess people will find out. Yeah. So, all right, guys, we really appreciate it, and we'll see you on the next one. See you.